Shalom, this is Rabbi Tama Davis Hart from Beth Elohim Messianic Synagogue bringing you an exposition on 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 14. So if you want to get your Bibles and read those verses along with me as we get started, uh, it might help you along. Verse 3 starts first, understand this. During the last days, scoffers will come, following their own desires, and asking, where is this promised quote-unquote coming of his? For our fathers have died, and everything goes on just as it has since the beginning of creation. But wanting so much to be right about this, they overlooked the fact that it was by God's word that long ago there were heavens, and there was land which arose out of water and existed between the waters, and that by means of these things the world of that time was flooded with water and destroyed. It is by that same word that the present heavens and earth, having been preserved, are being kept for fire until the day of judgment. Then ungodly people will be destroyed. Moreover, dear friends, do not ignore this. With the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some people think of slowness. On the contrary, he is patient with you. For it is not his purpose that anyone should be destroyed, but that everyone should turn from his sins. However, the day of the Lord will come, quote, like a thief, unquote. On that day the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will melt and disintegrate, and the earth and everything in it will be burned up. Since everything is going to be destroyed like this, what kind of people should you be? You should lead holy and godly lives as you wait for the day of, the go day of God and work to hasten its coming. That day will bring on the destruction of heavens by fire, and the elements will melt from the heat. But we, following along with his promise, wait for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will be at home. Therefore, dear friends, as you look for these things, do everything you can to be found by him without spot or defect and at peace. Now, in this section we see Kepha, or Peter, addressing scoffers who do not believe in Yeshua's imminent return, that day which will inaugurate the day of judgment. They criticize, quote, where is this promised coming of his, for everything goes on just as it has since the beginning of creation, unquote. Much like today's doubters who refuse to see the signs of our times as a precursor of Yahweh Yeshua's soon return when judgment shall be rendered to all that doubt. Today, especially in the scientific community, and even in religion, we see people who want so much to be right that they overlook facts that might make them change their opinions. They feel strongly, not out of intellectual conviction, but because of their desires. If we closely investigate the strength of their convictions with few exceptions, we'll find that they have a vested interest in some sort of sin. On a more commonplace level that we've all experienced in those around us, one example is people who are so fond of pork that they twist the scriptures to excuse their craving to a rejection of Yahweh Elohim's evident prohibition in scripture. They are following their own desires. Open-minded people have no chance to reach or correct the minds of such people by intellectual arguments or even objective evidence. When people like these let desires control their thinking, only a confrontation with those desires offers a prospect of change. In the scientific community, we hear about the immutable laws of nature. And there are those who elevate science to the rank of divinity, who even profess a belief in an intelligent designer, Yahweh, 
but ignore the fact that science can only discover present patterns of uniformity and cannot say anything about whether Yahweh Elohim might suddenly change them. Ergo, the search for the past patterns to explain the recent onslaught of natural disasters so as to avoid ascribing nature's fury to the providence of Yahweh Elohim. For example, any scientific argument for the evolution of man from lower animals must presuppose Yahweh's non-intervention. But science, by its own standards, has no way to know whether Yahweh did or did not create humanity by his word. Neither can science determine whether it is a fact that the universe was created by the quote-unquote Big Bang Theory or that Yahweh created the universe. These scoffers, past and present, following their own desires, do not want Yeshua or his promised quote-unquote coming of his, because they know that when it happens, he will judge them as Kepha rebukes these people for their only hope is repentance. Yahweh is patient. For it's not his purpose that anyone should be destroyed, but that everyone should return from his sins. The scriptures are adamant in Yahweh Yeshua's return contrary to the scoffer's declaration. In Psalms 8 and 110, we are shown in the Brit Kaddishah, the, the misnamed New Testament, that they are speaking of the Messiah's return to earth after sitting at Yahweh Elohim's right hand until his enemies are brought into subjection beneath his feet. Yeshua's second coming is also intimated in the Tanakh. Isaiah 53, 7-9 tells of the Messiah's death, quote, Like a lamb brought to be slaughtered, he was cut off out of the land of the living. For they made his grave among the wicked, his tomb among the rich, unquote. But later in verses 10 and 12, even though he's died, quote, He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the purpose of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Surely I will give him a portion with the great. Unquote. In the Brit Kaddishah, we find all four Gospels re report Yeshua's promise to return. That's Matthew 24, 3, 27 through 30, Mark 14, 61 and 2, Luke 21, 27, and John 14, 3, as does Revelation 22, 7, 12, and 20. Furthermore, as Yeshua ascended from the Mount of Olives to heaven, two angels promised his Talmudim, disciples, Quote, this Yeshua, who has been taken away from you in heaven, will come back to you in just the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All of the Brit Kaddishah, letter writers, teach his second coming. His return is of certainty well documented in the scriptures. However, the expectation was not only that he would return, but that he would do so, quote, unquote, soon, even very soon, Revelation 22, 7. This is why Shaul could write, there is not much time left. The present scheme of things in this world won't last much longer. Believers had waited 35 years or so when Shaul or Paul penned this letter, and today the delay has been about 2,000 years. Scoffers point to evident failure of prophecy, and we have to ask ourselves, was this in fact false prophecy? Kepha's answer in verse 8 not only refutes the scoffers, but also endeavors to comfort his dear friends and us, by relating that with Yahweh Elohim, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. This concept taken from Psalm 90, verse 4, is not Kepha's attempt to excuse a mistaken prediction. Instead, it has its foundation in Judaism, especially as pertains to the Messianic era, and as authentic measure of time by Yahweh Elohim's standards. An example is found in the Talmud, in Tractate Sanhedrin, 
Ralph Katina said, quote, the world will exist for 6,000 years, and for 1,000 it will be desolate as it is said. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Abaya said, it will be desolate 2,000, as it is said, after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up, and we will live in his sight. That's out of Hosea 6.2. Quote, it's been taught in accordance with Rav Ketina, just as every seventh year is a year of Shemitah, that means letting the land lie fallow, so it is with the world. One thousand out of seven are to be fallow, as proved by the following three texts taken together, in which the key word is, quote, unquote, day. Quote, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, Isaiah 2.11. A psalm and song for the day of Shabbat, Psalm 92.1, meaning the day that is entirely Shabbat, and, quote, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, unquote, Psalm 94. The school of Eliyahu teaches the world exists for 6,000 years, 2,000 of them tohu, that means void, 2,000 Torah, and 2,000 the era of the Messiah. But because of our numerous iniquities, many of these years have been lost in Sanhedrin 97a and b in the Talmud. According to Jewish tradition, there were 2,000 years without Torah, spiritual tohu or void. Between the creation of Adam and the time when Abraham, age 52, began convincing people to worship the one true God. The second 2,000 years supposedly lasted from then until 172 years after the destruction of the second temple, that is until 244 CE. That was the year 4000 by the Jewish calendar, but no significant event in Jewish history took place then. Yet we know that the Messiah had come and was resurrected. Yet we cannot be concrete in following the Jewish calendar because it has a number of uncertainties so that not all agree that the Jewish calendar accurately dates the biblical beginning of creation. In fact, there is evidence that the rabbis to refute Yeshua as the Messiah have deliberately excluded 240 years. Concerning the third 2,000 years, a footnote to this passage in the Sonsino English edition of the Talmud says, quote, Messiah will come within that period. Now he should have come at the beginning of it. The delay is due to our sins, unquote. It should be obvious that the Messiah who should have come at the beginning of the last 2,000 year period is in fact Yeshua who did come then. The delay is not of his coming, but of recognizing him. And this delay in his second coming is indeed due to our sins. Kepha points out that there's a delay in his second coming, and this is, quote, due to our sins, quote, unquote. And he exclaims, quote, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. On the contrary, he is patient with you, for it is his purpose that everyone should turn from his sins. Literally, that everyone should come to repentance. We're not even close. In verse 10, Kepha reminds them that Yahweh Yeshua will come like a thief in the night, and that Yahweh Elohim promised never again to destroy the world by water. But it is written, Yahweh will come with fire, Isaiah 66:15. And in verse 10 we read, quote, On that day the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will melt and disintegrate, and the earth and everything in it will be burned up, unquote. Then in verse 12 we read, Quote, the day of Yahweh will bring on the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt from the heat. And in verse 13, but we wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will be at home. 
Kifa is referring to scripture that teaches us that what we know as the universe shall pass away. And in Revelation 21, 1 through 8, we see that a new heaven and earth are created. Now, in these passages, Kifa is not emphasizing Yahweh Elohim as creator, but as the judge of the earth. These passages, little read or preached, because they give little comfort to those who portray Yahweh Elohim only as a God of love and grace that overlooks the sins of his subjects at the expense of his justice. Until professed believers understand the difference between reconciliation and salvation, this error is likely to continue bringing damnation upon them. Here we are to understand that the grace of Yahweh and his love is expressed in the delaying of his return to allow repentance. But in no way does his delay annul his holy justice. Those who will not repent and return to him in obedience out of love will be subject to his holy judgments. Don't shoot the messenger, that's me. This is right out of the word of God. Both Kepha and Shaul, Paul, agree that the purpose of prophecy is not to titillate the ears of believers or to make them speculate about times and dates but to ask what kind of people they should be and to arrive at the only correct answer. They should lead holy and godly lives. Many believers preoccupy themselves with future prophetic events, enjoying the thought of a coming apocalyptic doom in order to escape the command to live holy lives in the Olam Hazeh, that means the world to come, or this world, I'm sorry. Rather, they visualize themselves like pie in the sky, ignoring Torah observance, as coming into the Olam Haba, that's the world to come. In verse 12, we're told to hasten the day of Yahweh. The idea of working to hasten the coming of Messiah is deeply rooted in Jewish tradition, but it often surprises both traditional Jews and Christians who find the concept in the New Testament as well. Moreover, Antinomian Christians are shocked to learn they're supposed to work to hasten the day of God. Traditional Jews, on the other hand, who think of the New Testament as outside the purview, are equally amazed to discover Kepha's orientation toward action and ethical behavior. You should lead godly and holy lives. Many professed believers are glad to sit back passively and wait for the day of the Lord or wait for the day of God. Any pastor or rabbi can tell you that it is hard to motivate professed believers to study attend services regularly, and to participate fully in the community life of a church or synagogue, let alone being obedient to Yahweh's instructions to us. Most find the injunction to work to hasten his coming, the day of Yahweh, and learning they're supposed to surprises them. However, there is reciprocity here. Not only are we to hasten the end, but as we learn from Hebrews 10.25, and let us do this all the more as you see the day approaching. The end hastens us. If by now you're wondering what this work is, I'll answer your question. First, we should be living obedient lives according to Yahweh's Torah. And secondly, we should be witnesses to all the world through our life, and especially to our Jewish brethren by living Torah-observant lives that serves to provoke not only them, but non-Jews to jealousy. It's written that we are to be a light unto the world, and in David's psalm we see he characterizes light as truth, and truth as Yahweh's Torah, the living and the written. We don't go out hounding tracks and, 
and beating people over the head. Our best testimony is by the life we live before people. That's why we're in the world and not to be of the world. This theme is specifically apparent in verse 14 as believers are told to turn to Yahweh Elohim, quote, without spot or defect, unquote. Then how shall we know not what spot or defect is except through the reviving power of God's Torah, his instructions, the Bible. In 1 John 3, 4, we're told, quote, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For the sin is transgression of the law. Well, if the laws were nailed to the cross, then there's no transgression, no sin, and that takes us to a point where Christianity is just following secular humanism. And it can't be. If we're to be preserved into salvation, we must not pervert God's love and grace into license for Torah that is property that seals our salvation and offers freedom of consciousness. This is not, you know, non-accountability Christianity is what's being taught out there, and it's just not biblically supported. In closing, let me reassure and encourage you that although the day of the Lord is characterized as a day of judgment and vengeance, it is for true believers a day of salvation and comfort. May we all hasten the return of Messiah Yeshua as Peter has instructed us. Shalom.